So our family spent the majority of this past week in San Diego visiting uh, our kids' cousins and grandparents. And then on Friday, uh, Haley and I drove home, and, and the kids stayed a night with Grandma and Papa, which meant we had a rare ride where we could talk. A, a rare ride where we weren't hearing every few minutes, uh, are we there yet? Or how much longer? And somehow we got on the topic of having difficult conversations, difficult conversations with our kids, difficult conversations with our, 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 our parents, difficult conversations with one another, difficult conversations with other people as well. And Haley said something about how she read somewhere that, that having difficult conversations is about showing up or, or being present, about gently sharing truth. And then letting go of the need to control the response to whatever it is that you share. I wanted to argue, because the kids weren't there, we could, we could have a regular conversation. Especially with that last point, letting go of the truth or letting go of the response of the other person. I get in arguments because I'm going to win. Anybody else? Right? I've got something to prove. I, I, I want to I control the response. But she's right. We can't control how other people are going to respond to what we have to share with them. Even if that response is coming from one of our kids or a parent or somebody we, we love. So this morning, we're, we're looking at a, a difficult conversation where, where Jesus, he, he shows up, where Jesus shares truth, and then he allows space for a response. The story uh, is often shared after, after Jesus' resurrection, after Easter, we, we, we read this story. It's one of the, the resurrection stories we, we typically read through. And it starts at John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He, he was he was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter said, saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he will remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is it? What is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them. And we know that this is this testimony is true. But there are also many other things Jesus did, 
If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've told the story here before about the first time I really remember grasping the concept of grace or really uh, experiencing mercy, at least in a way that I could could remember and, and talk about. Uh, I was in fifth grade. It was toward the end of the school year, and I led a strike against our PE teacher because she made us run an extra lap. We, we had all run the first lap, and then she said, hey, it's time to run a second lap because not everybody ran, and I said, uh-uh. And I somehow convinced my entire class to sit down on the field and start chanting words that I do not allow my fourth grade daughter to say. My mom worked at the school and she came running out to the field with the the principal and uh, needless to say my, my punishment for leading that strike was that I wasn't allowed to participate in some of the fifth grade graduation festivities, including the softball versus or the, the softball game with teachers versus students and the pizza party. It was absolutely crushing. Every kid at Alcott Elementary School was working toward that softball game and that pizza celebration, and I didn't get to participate. It still bothers my mom, I should say, when I tell this story. Because somewhere along the line, one of those teachers decided to show me grace, decided to extend mercy. I deserve the punishment. I knew I deserved the punishment. I, I still talk about it this many years later. I knew I was wrong. And yet, for some reason, about halfway through the pizza party, about after the softball game, so I did have to miss the softball game, a teacher came to me and said, all right, come and join the party. I don't remember how the conversation, the whole conversation went. If I was asked if I had really learned my lesson or not, or if I was committed to doing something else in lieu of missing the party, I just remember the feeling of being welcomed back into the fold when I knew, I knew that I didn't deserve to be there. During the conversation between Peter and Jesus, we're given a model of how reconciled relationships look. And it begins with a conversation shaped by, by grace and love. There is a lot going on in these final verses of John. I, I love how he ends it. You know, he ends it with John, the one who Jesus loved. John, the one who reclined next to Jesus at the supper. He's talking about himself, of course. And, and there's a lot going on. He, 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 he says that... that that all of this was happening for a reason. One of the truths we're shown is that for Jesus, when it comes to being a part of his church, and especially when he's talking here to the leaders in his church, to Peter, experiencing grace is essential when it comes to, to leading in the church. Peter's experience, including his failure, prepared him for the position that he fulfilled. The model that Jesus gives us as he, he reinstates Peter is a, a model that we can use in the church today. It's a model that we can use in our own lives today when we have to deal with those conversations that we know we're going to have to have or that we, we should be having, some of those difficult conversations. First, we see that the conversation begins with a, a personal touch. Right before this conversation took place, Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're finishing breakfast. And as they, they wrap up, Jesus, he pulls Peter aside 
for the one-on-one conversation with John kind of trailing by so John can still hear what's happening. But he, he pulls Peter aside. He, he doesn't, doesn't have this conversation in front of everyone. He, he pulls him aside. He doesn't shame him. He's direct. And then he addresses him with his formal name, Simon, son of John. Now, this is a common way of addressing people in, in, in Scripture. There's another place. It is Holy Humor Sunday, so I'm going to use this. There, there's, a, there's another, another place uh, in Scripture where, where they, they talk about so-and-so, son of so-and-so. But there's one, one person in the Bible, in, in the Old Testament, I'll give you a hint, who has no ancestors listed. He's Joshua, son of none. N-U-N. Sorry, that's really bad. Really, really bad. Really bad. So he says, Simon, son of John, we can't read the tone in Jesus's voice. We, we, we can't read the tone or see it in the text. But I know that every time I say my child's full name, it means one of two things. It either means they're in trouble, that I need to get their attention, or it's to reassure them that everything is going to be okay after they're hurt hey, it's going to be okay, and I'll say their full name. Jesus could have been saying with a soft voice, Simon, son of John, I'm disappointed. Or, louder, Simon, son of John, it's going to work out, that reassuring voice. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. Either way, we know as Jesus reinstates Peter here that it's, it's serious enough for him to use his full name. It is personal. Now, the first time that, that Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, he, he adds a qualifier. He says, do you love me more than these? More than everyone else. More than the disciples. He gets straight to the heart of the matter. It's pretty hard to know if you love someone more than, than someone else, but I think Jesus is asking the question because of their history together, because of the history that he had with Peter. Remember, before the crucifixion, Jesus says to Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, 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 not me. I will always be with you. I'm, I'm staying with not me. No, I love you. And Peter fires back, I'm coming with you wherever you go. I'm going. I'll give up my life for you, even when everyone else turns their back more than these. So in a way, Jesus is saying, remember that commitment that you made. Is it true? What happened? Now, in all four Gospels, we see places where Peter claims to be the most loyal of the disciples. And in one question, Jesus says, really? Really? The second time Jesus asks the question, he leaves off the tag of more than these. But, but by the time he gets to the third question, we, we know that Peter is hurt. Now, there's a lot of, of kind of debate or discussion, I should say, about the words that Jesus uses when he's talking to Peter about, do you love me? There's, there's phileo love, which is traditionally brotherly love, and agape love, which is traditionally divine love. And we're not, we're not going to get into, well, was he ramping up or was he not ramping up? I, I think it's safe to say he was just saying, do you really, really love me? 
do you really love me? It gets to the place where he blurts out, Peter, a confession of sorts. Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. You know that I love you. I made a mistake. Yeah, I know I denied you. It was a mistake. But you know my heart. You know that I love you. It's deeply personal. And we're definitely led to believe because it's personal, because of the closeness of the relationship, it it hurts as well. But that pain, it, it leads to clear steps forward. Peter isn't told by Jesus that he has to earn his trust again, that he has to earn back his his love to prove that he's worthy. But right away, Jesus says, you've got something to do. You love me. I know you do. And because you love me, you have something to do. In the same way that the people have picked apart the different terms that Jesus used for love in their conversation, some have dissected the meaning behind Jesus' charge to Peter. He starts with, feed my lambs, nourish the young, take care of the young folks, the flock. Then take care of my sheep, or literally shepherd them. Keep my followers in line. Provide discipline and guidance and accountability where it's needed. And lastly, feed my lambs. A combination of take care of the young and keep everyone in line. I tend to think that what what Jesus is doing here, the same way that he's trying to do with love, with paint the biggest picture of love you can imagine, is he's talking about discipleship. He's talking about shepherding and saying, you are in charge of it all. Do it all. The next step for Peter is clear. Feed the young. Take care of them. Guide the flock. Watch over those who need care. That's what Peter was charged with. Leaders in the church today, whether you're a a pastor, whether you sit on a committee, whether you're an elder, whether you're a deacon, pretty much everybody here today have that same sort of charge. What, What are you doing to take care of others, to love others? Loving Jesus and loving his people They go hand in hand with one another. And honestly, it's what discipleship is all about. Do you love me? Do you follow me? Do something with it. When we're driven to action, we become the catalyst for inviting people into the restorative relationship that Jesus is modeling here with with Peter. We we welcome people home. We reinstate uh, broken people into community. In one way or another, we experience the shepherding that Jesus is talking about here with Peter. And after Peter answers Jesus three times, Jesus gives an honest assessment of of what his reinstatement means. He says, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you your life. There's all this buildup. Two estranged friends coming together, restoring trust, reconciling with one another. And then we get to this. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. When Jesus invites Peter to lead his church, it doesn't come with with high praise. It doesn't come with recognition. In fact, Peter has promised the exact opposite. It's going to cost you. It's going to be painful. One commentary I read said that that Jesus laid it out plainly for Peter. So when the inevitable suffering, when the inevitable martyrdom came, 
he wouldn't think it was a penalty for his denial. But this is what it costs to follow Jesus. Instead, the answer to Peter's commitment in John 13, when Jesus predicts his death, is when Peter pipes up and says, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm, I'm going too. And Jesus is reaffirming that and saying, yeah, you're right. Wherever I go, whatever I go through, you're, you're going to go through as well. After Jesus shares the news, Peter looks over and he sees that other guy following them, tailing along, John, and says, what about him? Is following you going to cost him his life? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You follow me. Again, it's personal. You, you follow me. It's not about someone else. So Jesus says, don't be concerned about where I stand with John. Don't be concerned about the conversations that that we're having together. Be concerned with yourself. Follow me and shepherd my people. And so as Jesus reconciles with Peter, we're given this this model of, of what it looks like to do that in our own lives. How we might engage difficult conversations shaped by grace and love. We see that these conversations are personal, that they include clear action steps. Here's here's what it looks like, and that they're honest. It's a sort of image that's painted by the parable of the prodigal son. Most of us know that story, uh, that the youngest son takes an early inheritance, blows it, comes home to ask if he can be a servant on the family farm. And the dad greets him with, with wide open arms. Meanwhile, the older brother's in the corner and saying, why? He doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve this grace. When we're at our best, individually, collectively as a church, when we are at our best, I'm convinced that we're like the dad running out to people and saying, hey, it's so good to see you. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. And then we're at our worst. We're like the older brother in the corner saying things like, You don't belong. I thought you left. What are you doing here? One of my prayers for us here at Westminster, really what's behind our our vision statement of inviting all people to follow Jesus on a journey of faith, friendship, and service, is that we would continually find ways to model, to live out what Jesus models, what Jesus models in his conversation with Peter, that we would be ambassadors of reconciliation everywhere we go. Let's pray. Holy God, you call us to love you and to love others, whoever it is that's on our path. Lord, help us to be a community that embraces difficult conversations. Lord, help us to be ambassadors of reconciliation in a world that definitely needs whole, healthy, strong conversations, honest conversations. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.